Hi, and welcome to the Drum Podcast on Everything Negotiations with your host, Mike Lander. The aim of our show is to give you practical negotiation insights from global marketing industry experts. We're all about actionable insights. We want you to take away one or two things per episode that can help you move the ball forward in your business. We really hope you enjoy it. Please subscribe and keep coming back for more. Pete, thanks ever so much for joining us on the Drums Marketing Negotiation Podcast. Really delighted to have you. Great to be with you, Mike. Thank you. Um, And welcome back to the new year as well, of course. It's uh, January 2023. Um, So before we start getting into your experience in marketing negotiations, which I know are extensive, tell us a bit about your current role and background. And also, one thing that stands out for you as your proudest moment in the last 25 years, personal or work. Wow. Okay. Where do I go with that? Brilliant. Great. So, well, um, hopefully people will know me more recently as being the chief marketing officer for Boots. I hope everybody knows Boots. It's amazing. 170-year-old retail business, staple of the high street with a really growing online presence. And Boots is an amazing brand to work on. Um, it's all about making a difference, really helping people in communities up and down the UK uh, and helping people with the, the, serving their well-being for life. Uh, we talk about being Boots with you for life, with you through the journey of life. And that's very much what Boots is about. And it's been a, it has been and continues to be a tremendous brand to work on. I'm, I'm two years into, into business in February. I'm absolutely loving it. Before that, I had a, a whole mixed experience in utilities, financial services. I've, I've done a spell in insurance and banking, most recently for TSB, a fantastic uh, you know, again, community-based business to work on. I spent a couple of years in retail running some P&Ls and running marketing at the post office. Um, so, yeah, it's been, I feel so lucky to have worked for a whole range of brands from the yeah, British Gas, Aviva, more than uh, Post Office, um, TSB, uh, the AOA, and, and, and Boots. Um, so, yeah, so there's the second bit of question, what am I most proud of? I think there's, maybe I'll just, maybe just pick a campaign moment. I'm really proud of the campaign we put out this Christmas at Boots, Joy for All. I mean, it, it um, has really worked well for us uh, as a campaign. And um, it's always lovely when people talk about your brand at Christmas in the same conversation as the likes of a, a John Lewis. I mean, we never set out to to compete with other brands at Christmas. We set out to make the very best ad for our customers and for our you know, for our brands. But when people, you're part of a conversation about Christmas and people are talking up your campaign, saying you know, the best ads of the year include boots and so on, it's always lovely. So the reaction's been great. The performance has been strong and. What's really lovely is, is you can see how much of a team effort it was. We have a fantastic team of people at WPP and within my team and in Boots as a whole who worked on Christmas who delivered a really wonderful bit of work. So, so I feel proud on, on behalf of all the people that worked on it. Um, there are other moments I could pull out, but that's probably the most recent one is something I feel privileged to have been a part of. Brilliant. Thank you, Pete. Um, so um, before we get into the kind of the more slightly more serious side of the learnings about negotiation in the marketing context, I've noticed that you um, you've worked in some you do some improv comedy, uh, and it has an impact on a positive impact on mental health. Do you want to talk about the context of where that kind of where the idea came from and what you learned? Yeah, happy to, Mike. It's, it's something I'm really passionate about. I am. Um... Yeah, I don't naturally see myself as a comedian. I don't naturally think, oh, you know, I'm, I'm funny. I've never, never for a second thought that. Um, and it's not, critically, it's not stand-up. So often when I talk to people, they go, oh, oh tell me a joke or show me your routine. And so I'm not, I'm, I'm no, no Jack Whitehall or Jimmy Carr or, or, or someone, you know, uh, Ramesh Ranganation, someone who's really good at doing stand-up. I've never done stand-up. Improvised comedy is what it says on the tin. It's improvised. It's all made up in the moment. 
you're never on stage on your own. You're always with at least one other person or can be up to, say, four or five or six. And you're doing scenes and games uh, that are all made up in the moment, different scenarios. And you have to build on what each other is saying. You have to create a world, create a real world that people buy into. And through that, you create things that are funny and interesting. So I, I, I fell into it because I, I did an MBA about 10 years ago. I wanted to keep learning. I was queuing up for, to buy a train ticket, saw a poster and thought, you know, actually, I'm going to, I'm going to, it may be a mad moment. I'm actually going to try that. And that was three years ago now, and I've just fallen in love with it. It's given me a wonderful, uh, fantastic, you know, creative group of friends who I, I interact with, all, all who are very different to me and do very different kind of jobs, which is great from different backgrounds, different age groups. Um, but it's helped me tap into a, a really creative part of my brain that, that has helped me, not just in, in the day job, because it, I think it, it's definitely helped me be more spontaneous in the moment, be more creative in my thinking. But it's really helped me from a mental health perspective because it's a really good way to, I, I guess it, it, it's a good way to unwind. It, it, you're, you're having fun, you're laughing, you're, you're learning and you're laughing and you're having fun doing it. And quite a lot of the time, it's not, you know, you, you're taking part in it, but at moments you're clearly not and you're watching amazing material where other people are doing it. You see them do their craft and they are funny and you laugh and, and enjoy it with them. Um, there's also a, a slightly interesting pressure moment in it of, of we do a show about once a month and actually that that comes with a, a nice amount of pressure of having to be on a stage in front of 50 people it's a very fr friendly audience 50 between 50 and 100 people at, at some shows but th that's not a bad pressure to go right how, how you know it, knowing that you've got to do it and knowing that knowing that you've got to be on stage and and you know none of what you're going to do it's quite you might know uh there's games or a technique you're going to use, but none of it, you, you don't know what the scenario is going to be. So that 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 in itself is, um, I, I find, exhilarating. So, um, so yeah, all in all, it, it's amazing. And um, my son's an actor, so it's also helped me understand some of the craft of what he goes through in, in some of what he does too. So, yeah, it's been an amazing experience. I, I can thoroughly recommend improvised comedy. Excellent. And off the back of it, Pete, uh, I was saying to you just before we started, I've actually, I've been looking for something, an online improv session, because I did this kind of ad hoc one last year sometime, uh, and I've signed up to a, a, a team, the Dingbats, uh, for an online session, because it'll just, it, it, it's that point about tapping into part of my brain that I, I rarely get to use. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think there's also something like, I mean, ding, Dingbats, who you do with Dingbats Improv are brilliant. They're the guys that I've been working with the last few years and actually you're right i think there's something isn't it about when we when we're children we we, le we learn to play and sometimes when we get older that almost playful side of you goes a bit when maybe we become a bit serious what i love with improv is you properly get to play again you get to play with ideas and you get to be creative in the way probably we did a lot when we were kids so it, it helps you in a, in a childlike way be amazing and creative and spontaneous and it's also a lot about failure because um, not everything you do is funny and works. And that's a, yes. that's the bit I found hard with that. The learning of it is you do some scenes and, and some shows you go, wow, that's, you know, yeah, that, that felt incredible. And people come up to you and say, oh, it's a great show, whatever. But there are other moments you go and think, oh, yeah, if only I'd said that or done that or we'd done that. Um, so not, you know, it, learning, learning from failure is never a bad thing, is it? And that definitely improv teaches you that pretty much every week. Absolutely. And learning from failure, I've got a big mantra about, you know, and I have done for probably all my life now, uh, Pete, which is kind of do a little and learn a lot. So a series of short experiments and you keep building off the back of those experiments. And I'm an engineer by training. And so you naturally try things out 
most of them fail. And then you get a breakthrough moment. But the breakthroughs and accumulation of the small things that you've tried. I agree. And there's so much you learn. I think if you if you don't fail, maybe you're living too safely. And I, I think actually some of that failure, as you say, it teaches you what to do next, doesn't it? And, and, uh, it shows you the direction. A hundred percent. I look at moments in my life and career, you know, if, if I hadn't experienced that or gone through that, I wouldn't have done this next thing. So I do think there's, there's, a, there's a lot to uh, yeah, a lot to learn from that, definitely. Yeah, definitely. So thanks for that. Um, now, marketing negotiations. So just like a couple of questions that we kind of thought about before to kind of guide the discussion. Um, so given the profile of marketing campaigns you work on and the brands that you work on and that you lead, talent's often a key feature of those kind of campaigns. So what have you learned about negotiating with talent and also their agents as well? Yeah, talent. I've been lucky to have some amazing talent. Obviously, we've had Lydia West in the most recent Christmas campaign. We had Jenna Coleman before that. Um, we've worked with Tess and Claudia on number seven from Strictly. Um, and in the past, I've worked with the likes of David Schwimmer on the TSB relaunch. I've worked with Robert Webb um, and others. And, it, it, and I even worked with Morgan Freeman uh, <laughs> about a decade ago. So, um, yeah, I, I think it, it, it's... I mean, I guess well, what the learnings, TSB is probably a really good example because we started off wanting to work with with, uh, with David Tennant, actually, who is a wonderful actor and someone I, I hugely admire. And it was just quite a hard journey for a variety of different reasons to, um, to uh, land the idea, land the script and get everything together in a way that was going to work for everyone. And we, we, we spent a couple of months working through it. And I think part of the my learning from that is we've got a bit too obsessed with with it has to be this talent to make the idea work. But then when, when it was proving, getting to the point of going, you know what, we're not going to get that, David, to start it. It's just not going to work for a variety of reasons. Um, and I still love David Tennant. He's still one of my favourite actors. Um, it just wasn't going to work for us with TSB and David. But actually, the, the whole idea of, of, of actually, what if we, we, we re-look at the idea, make it a bit more uh, talent agnostic, and then work through a, a range of talent we could work with, that liberate and open us up the idea of working with David Schwimmer. So we built a vehicle uh, and then went to look at a range of talent we could work with and then found David Schwimmer, who hadn't done a UK ad before. He'd only ever done one ad in America for the Super Bowl. This was quite a fresh thing. Obviously amazing as, as Ross and Friends. He's a director and a writer. He's far more, far bigger and far more than Ross and Friends. He's done amazing, uh, amazing things since, Friends. He was great to work with and actually he got very invested. He helped us write the, the final scripts and the treatment was brilliant on set, helping to shape the final idea, wanted to get very involved with multiple takes and kept coming over checking I was okay and the team were okay with, with, with the end output. Um, so I, I think one of my learnings, I think um, it's far easier if you develop a, a vehicle that, that either um, is talent agnostic or um, you can make work with a variety of talent. I think what I found hard is when you go, and that was the example with, with the, the David Tennant one, was like, this idea has to work with this person. It's just too too, too, too binary. And um, I mean, if I look at um, both of the Boots Christmas campaigns, they were built without needing talent. So talent, we, we always, with Boots, work on develop an amazing idea that tests really well, and then step back and go, who do we want to be in this? And then look at would adding talent to it help make the idea even bigger, more talkable, more shareable, uh, or not? And actually, the last two years we've landed two very different, two amazing, amazing uh, and talented actors in it with Jenna and you know, Lydia this year. So in my learning, I always approach work now with the idea has to stand up and work. 
and then I look it's it's, it's uh, the thing to do on top. The other bit which always gets underestimated is the amount of paperwork, the amount of backwards and forwards you need with talent and agents over things. Um, Morgan Freeman, particularly a decade ago, was lots of backwards and forwards and, and trying to work out different time zones and where he was and where we were. And, and, and that's the other bit is allow yourself enough time because it's never helpful when it's when you're, you're chasing a, a very immediate deadline and trying to chase talent to that immediate deadline obviously doesn't put you in the strongest negotiating position either. So you need to allow the right amount of time, have very good options for talent, but start from a, a talent agnostic perspective. Look, I, I appreciate there's moments when, you know, TSB is a good example, when we wanted talent because we wanted to relaunch the brand and we wanted to do something famous. So it's not necessarily the wrong place to start, but yeah, really plan it out, give yourself the time, have a variety of options. Um, yeah, those are my learnings. But but talent can really help a brand, as we found with Boots and TSB. I mean, the TSB brand school is incredible from that campaign and the business performance. So it, it can definitely work. And I think, so a couple of things on that. Um, so I think deadlines can be the curse of a negotiation, but also the saviour of a negotiation. Sometimes mm. a deadline can force both parties to the table. If yeah. you've both got things that are at risk that you need to resolve before a certain time, then it can work to both your advantages. Or if the if the negotiations I find are imbalanced and the buyer's got more power, then deadlines can be a nightmare for the seller. They can be horrific. Yes, yeah, 100%. Um, third parties, agents. So particularly in the talent market, uh, obviously agents are, are, are a key part. Um, what's it like kind of working with a third party when you're negotiating rather than the principal? Because you've not got a principal to principal, you've got a principal agent yeah. to principal. Yeah, it's definitely a factor you've got to take into account. I think, I mean, I've been lucky enough to work with amazing creative agencies who uh, take on a lot of that themselves. And again, I guess it's another, another fourth part, you can call it that. You've sort of got the, us, the creative agency, the agent and the talent. Um, but I, I think my, my biggest learning is to make sure through that chain that the talent has seen the idea early on and the agent has definitely shown that I've had a couple of instances where it, it, you know, when we've been up in other campaigns where I've tried to work with talent where it's very evident that, that maybe the talent hasn't seen all the work so I think it's really important that you, you that through, throughout the chain what you're sharing is is getting the talent to buy into the core idea and the core approach or not just eg do you want to work with a bank you know I actually, what's the actual creative vehicle? And then you bought into the whole vehicle of what we're trying to do, or an insurance company, or whatever. So that's something I'd really insist. On. So actually, the Morgan Freeman one we were using didn't we use his likeness for a campaign called More Than Freeman at 2010, 2011. But actually, what was really important was to make sure he'd seen the scripts and seen the work and saw what we wanted to do because we were using his likeness. So clearly. We wanted to make sure he wasn't thinking we were taking the mickey out of him. Actually, it was a homage to how, how uh, respected he, he was and is. So sharing that work was really making sure he'd seen the work. So actually, when he was making a decision, he was making it based on having seen the idea and the integrity of the idea. So I think making sure the agent is sharing that through and, and, and clearly get the feedback that the agent has shown the work to the talent is really important. Definitely. So moving on to a, a different topic about internal negotiations. So you wrote a great article uh, called Holding Your Nerve, mm. uh, which you published on LinkedIn a while ago, 2021. Um, can you talk a bit about the challenges of internal negotiations in large corporate organizations? Yeah, I think um, a lot of it is around having a very strong network within a business, I think, for any kind of negotiation. So my starting point is to 
always build a marketing strategy out of the strategy the business has. So, so link everything you do off the business strategy because any negotiation you're doing, whether it's for more money or to pitch an idea, it is always stronger when the business can look at it and go, I can see how that fits into what we're trying to do as an organization. I can see how it fits into our strategy. So there's a connected set of stories, a connected narrative. I think that really, really matters. Um, and then it's knowing which teams you need to be the most connected with. And as a marketeer, finance always very, very high on that list. I need a very strong relationship with finance and my finance business partner. If we're going to pitch an idea or pitch for uh, investment or either more investment or, or a, a moving of investment around in a business. And I keep using the word investment, it, you know, not spend, it's an investment. So view it as an investment choice and the right partners for that. But also found relationships with HR are really important, particularly if you're pitching a brand idea and a culture, a brand cultural brand purpose idea. Um, and then the business like Boots, the core retail and trading teams, that is a really important relationship. How do we, you know, Christmas, for example, make sure that there's a symbiotic link between the creative idea and what we're offering in store and everything connects up as a joined up story. So the starting point is always in back to knowing your audience, isn't it? And having a clear narrative. Yeah, there are times in Boots where I've pitched ideas. Love Island being a really good example. You know, I'm, I'm pitching to Love Island and we're in our third year coming up for Love Island as, as the, the beauty uh, partner. And uh, that's been a great relationship for us. But to sell up in the business, that was very much around, you know, we wanted to... Um, uh, communicate more of the new beauty offering we had in Boots and new brands we had on offer. Love Island provides an amazing vehicle to talk about that, that, that the, and show actually show it actually in the show itself the new beauty we offer. So again, how do I link that back? The business strategy is we want to um, be number one in beauty. We want more people to know that we uh, offer uh, new brands, particularly post COVID. Yeah, the way to one way to do that is to showcase our new offering in Love Island. So again, you get all the story links, and this is what Love Island will then do. So again, you can see how the story connects all the way through. Whereas, you know, I, I could talk to you about things I've inherited in in the past in businesses. Uh, Aviva being a good example, I inherited a couple of sports sponsorships where you sort of go, I just can't see how this fits with what the business is trying to do. That they're not bad things in their own right, but I, you know. If we lost them, would we really notice a difference in what the business is trying to achieve? Well, probably not. So linking it right the way back to the business strategy really matters. And what about that um, on the internal negotiations? You talked about alignment, stakeholder engagement, making sure that everyone's lined up. <clears throat> what role do kind of marketing procurement play? Because uh, I work a lot with agencies, for example. Um, and a lot of agencies, I have this constant um, battle with agencies often, saying that marketing procurement... They're not the devil. You know, you shouldn't avoid them. You should engage with them early on because they're a key stakeholder in negotiations on big uh, opportunities, big contracts. What's your kind of experience from the brand side as the CMO leading the marketing drive, working with your procurement colleagues? Yeah, it's another really good question, Mike. I think those relationships with the procurement team are really important. I've got a fantastic procurement team here at Boots who are real support. I guess they're kind of... Uh, Friendly critics, well, the support is also friendly critics. They'll challenge me over stuff, which is great. I need, I need that. Um, so again, you need to have really strong relationships. And I think importantly, when you're looking at things like agency relationships, is being really clear on the brief from the outset of what you're looking for. Otherwise, it does become yeah, a question around cost, doesn't it? It's like you, you chase the, the lowest common denominator. Whereas for me, I mean, we, we recently moved all of our in-store um, retail uh, creative to Oliver. And 
at the heart of that was wanting to work with a partner who had the very best thinking in, in retail and insight around what works in retail. Yeah, and all along the list of what we're looking for was cost saving. But didn't start with we're just moving to save money. It started with wanting to move to bring some fresh thinking and ideation into the business that would then generate cost benefit and efficiencies and help us become more effective. So yeah, if that's the brief, then the procurement team know what we're dealing for together. And I think it's got to start. It's got to start with that relationship. Start with a clear brief. Start with that focus. Everyone has to be really clear. What are we trying to achieve here, and why? Otherwise, it will become, as I, as I mentioned a moment ago, all about cost alone. And leaning into just agencies need to understand. I'm, I'm sure most do, but savings are key. You're mm-hmm. trying to drive long-term shareholder value and brand equity. Um, so yes, it's an investment, absolutely. But there has to also be a strong ROI, and there's a constant pressure from finance to improve EBITDA. So mm. you have to improve the bottom line, and you've got to get more efficiency. I often talk to agencies about how do you help the client become more efficient in the way that value is delivered between the agency and the kind of brand, um, which leads us nicely into your experience of negotiating with agencies. Um, what are your kind of experiences of? When it goes really well in the negotiation to get the right agency on board, what were the success factors? Yeah, and when it's gone really well, again, it starts with probably a good example is again through a pitch process is you start with a really clear sense of what you're trying to achieve. And the brief is very clear for the agency, whether it's a creative brief, a strategy, or a data brief, it starts with the, the, the burning platform exam question of this is what we're trying to achieve. And you open the doors to that business to help them fully understand and realize what you're trying to deliver and then allows them to um, deliver the very, very best work. Um, that's where it's got to start. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't ever skimp on the upfront stages of what you're trying to do, but you need to invest the time and also have the right resource on a pitch. You, you can't do it off the side of your desk. You need people that are either dedicated or significant amount of time dedicated to make something of like that work. It's probably one of the most fundamental decisions you're going to make. And often I think people charge into it thinking, I oh, will just get this thing done and then off we go. And it's, it's a lot harder and could take a lot, a lot more effort and work that's involved. And, and then it's having a great sourcing team who can do all the, the harder negotiations for you, the harder commercial side of what you're trying to achieve and deliver. Um, so it's very much a team effort, but it's a team effort around a, a really clear brief. Then I think it's around, um, it's like any relationship, isn't it? It's like a, the, the human relationships we have, isn't it? it is you need to keep a very good, strong dialogue going. Often, where I've seen agency relationships start to come off the road is when, uh, off the rails, sorry, is when you, you you sort of start talking to each other and you, and you start whispering in the corner about, oh, that's a bit rubbish, that worked, wasn't it? And then you forget to say to the agency, that was a bit rubbish or it wasn't on brief. I had that happen with with one agency I worked with, a post office, where we, we let it slide. We, 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 we just let it just not kind of work and, and it, it didn't end. I mean, we sorted it sort of in the end and sort of parted in an okay way. But I look back and think, God, if only we'd got in a room and had that chat and said that. And um, so I think a lot of it is, is, you know, if things are starting to fester, you know, starting to worry you as a client where you go, well, that wasn't very good. Maybe that person wasn't doing that. wasn't. Yeah. Say it. <laughs> get in a room and say it. Don't hide it. Because what all that builds into a point where you get so fed up and go, oh, I'm going to pitch this now. For the agency, if you haven't told them that, then how are they going to know? I mean, I, I think about, you know, that I've got a great relationship with WPP at Boots, but together we've changed a lot of things on the account in two years. It's quite different to what it was like two years ago. Our focus, 
the people we've got on the account, the way we work, the work we're doing is different, quite different from what it was two years ago. And that's been instigated on both sides. If we've not had conversations, we would be in a very different place now. We wouldn't be delivering anywhere near the quality of work we need. So like all these things, you have to invest in the relationship. You don't just transact with each other. You you have a relationship with each other. And that starts with honesty, communication. Oh, I know all this stuff sounds really obvious, doesn't it? So often it doesn't happen. So I think on that point uh, around the negotiation kind of theory, as it were, which plays into exactly this point, is you can some people focus purely on the content and not on the relationship. And they're very combative negotiations. And some people focus purely on the relationship and not on the content. And that ends up in a very poor value creation. And you've got to get both right if you're working on a long-term agency-client relationship is that there's a relationship part that's important and there's a content part that's important. And there are trade-offs. And you must know, Pete, from your side, you'll have made trade-offs sometimes where you maybe you said to procurement, actually on this point, we're going to accept that because there's a long-term impact of what we're doing. But on other points, no, we're not prepared to yield. Yeah, 100%. And that, that's about to know the boundaries, isn't it? So, yeah, these are things, particularly, yeah, these are things I'm looking for, these things I need. And if you're not getting those, then clearly um, there's more work to be done. So in summary, Pete, given that we're running out of time, I don't want to abuse your time. So in summary, what insights would you offer a brand CMO to get the best out of any third-party negotiations? Your kind of top couple of tips. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the starting point is start with that very, very clear brief. Be really clear what you're looking for and what you want to achieve, whether it is as simple as cost reduction or uh, you know, a, a different uh, set of uh, people around the table or different ideas, a different approach. Be really clear and spend as much time as you can as possible, put the right people on it and work with brilliant people to help you in that, whether it's your sourcing team or finance team. Surround yourself with the A team to help you get it done. And then when you're through that is... Um, put the time and energy into cultivating that relationship right from the start, make it really clear together. I think about how we set the Oliver relationship up with Boots. It's been all about from day one, we get, we will make this succeed. We're two fantastic groups of people working together. Our intent is success together. And again, that sounds obvious, but set out with a clear set of messaging around what you're trying to achieve with the team as well. So communication is central to it as well. Pete, perfect. Thank you. This has been really interesting, really fun. Uh, enjoyable and some great insights around the world of kind of marketing negotiations. Uh, where can people find you, Pete? So, Mike, look, again, it's been great chatting to you. People can find me on LinkedIn or on Twitter. I'm at Peter Markey and um, would love to uh, uh, hear from anyone that's got any thoughts or reflections on these topics as well. So, yeah, it's been great chatting to you, Mike. Great. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for listening to the Drum Podcast series on negotiation insights with your host, Mike Lander. Please subscribe so that you'll catch the next episodes from our global marketing industry experts.